And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm Sarah Savian along with Pierre Lebrun from The Athletic NHL with a special edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. Today is a historic day in the NHL and in the sport. Nashville Predators 2020 third round pick, Luke Prokop, makes history, officially coming out as the first openly gay NHL prospect. Luke has changed the hockey world for the better today, and it deserves to be celebrated. There has never been an openly gay NHL player, but the Calgary Hitman defender and alternate captain will attend training camp with the Predators in Nashville. Today on the show, Pierre and I welcome the NHL's first openly gay player agent, Bane Pettinger, and Brock McGillis, the first openly gay men's professional hockey player. But first, let's hear from Luke and Pierre in their sit-down with TSN. You're a first-round pick in the Western Hockey League, a third-round pick by the Predators in the National Hockey League, and you achieve those heights while still carrying a heavy burden. Is the sky the limit now for, for Luke Prokop? I hope so. I think being my true self and allowing myself to go to the rink every day, not, not having to care if someone knows or someone doesn't, going to the gym and being able to focus on getting faster and stronger is only going to make me a better player and it's only going to make me more confident on the ice. So I don't, know, I don't know how good I'm going to be. I'm so excited that I'm going to be able to be myself as a person and as a hockey player, I just can't see where I'm going to, where this is going to take me. Here, what did it mean for you to be trusted to tell today's story? And can you kind of take us through the process? Yeah, I'll tell you what, Sarah, I'm just like, I hope people realize when I say this, I'm so honored that, um, you know, Luke's camp approached me to write this story. I mean, I was so excited uh, when Jerry Johansson, um, the lead NHL agent for Luke Prokop uh, called me a number of weeks ago 
Um, and uh, I got to say, I, I really poured my heart and soul in this story and wanted to get it right. And I was nervous about that and wanted to get all the right voices in it. And, and uh, you know, it meant a lot to me uh, just before we, uh, we taped this here that um, Luke's dad reached out to me and, and thanked me, thought the story really told Luke's story. And, um, and that's what this is about. This is not my story just because I wrote it. It's Luke's story. It's his day. And uh, I just wanted it to be as close as, as perfect in terms of what he would want out there. And, uh, you know, I did my best with that. But it's, it's just amazing to be part of it. I'm just humbled by it. What do you think this means for the hockey world? I mean, I think our guests will have a better sense of that than me uh, in terms of a Brock and Bain here. But, you know, I hope that we get to a day where we're – this doesn't have to be so hard. And, and, you know, I'm disappointed already, but some of the, most of the comments have been so uh, positive, Sarah, uh, in our comment section and, and on Twitter, but there is the odd person saying, well, why is this even a story? Well, look at what Luke's gone through. Listen to what his process has been like. Yes, it's been very positive, but he was carrying a burden and, and, and the feeling you know, when he talks about getting off the phone with the National Predators and feeling as free as he's ever felt in his young life. That's why it's, it's, it's a story. It's huge. It's hard. And, and I think for the hockey world, of course, the way Brendan Burke's legacy is still being felt, the leadership of Brock McGillis, Bain adding to that path last November, every time is important for the hockey world. I'm just going to say it, and I don't care if I get criticized. We're one of the worst sports. We're, we're lagging behind. And and this has to be a more comfortable space for uh, people to play the sport and to feel comfortable. And that's that's what I'm hoping continues to come out of this. And there's perhaps nobody more qualified to discuss this than Bain and Brock. So without further ado, let's do that. Brock, it's not an exaggeration to say Luke will save lives by sharing his story. And you've cultivated a community promoting communication with hockey's LGBTQ youth. Can you explain why this moment is so huge for hockey and the world at large? There's still the idea that as a man in men's team professional sports or men's team sports or boys team sports that um, you can't be gay and play the sport you love. There's still this idea that um, homosexuality, being gay, makes you less than in those locker room settings in the sport, especially hyper-masculine, macho, tough sports like hockey. So every time somebody takes a step forward, every time somebody has courage to share and show who they are, the way Bain has, the way um, John Olson has, the way Zach Sullivan has, it leads to a shift in perception and ideas of human beings. And as people realize that they are more than, you know, you can be gay and play a sport. You are more than just your sexual identity and you're more than just your sport. Yeah. Well said there, Brock. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's huge. You know, the more the, what I've found is, is humanizing it. You know, if you're able to tie it and put a face to it, you know, everyone goes, Oh, I don't know anyone that's gay in the game. And, you know, now I've, you know, I try to spread that with my circle and now, you know, the Western hockey league is going to, you know, have a player and the Nashville predators. And I think it's, it's really humanizing it. And, um, you know, the more that, that come forward and, and live their true self, which is, you know, when I remember when I came out, people say, congrats, you're like, well, I didn't really do anything. 
you know, I'm just telling my truth. And I think that's what, what Luke's feeling today is, um, you know, just a big sense of relief that now he can walk around and not have to think about it every day and not have to, you know, he can just be a hockey player and, um, you know, and, and, and your sexual identity uh, orientation doesn't matter. And there is still that stereotype in our sport that, as Brock said, you know, you can't, people think you can't be gay and play the game, but I think with guys like Luke and, you know, Brock and myself to help humanize it and put a face to it, that you can be successful and, and, and be gay. And that's all we're trying to do with, uh, with, you know, humanizing it here. There was such a vivid picture in the story where he's banging on the steering wheel and crying, just tears of relief. Did this story bring you guys back at all to when you came out and are you comfortable kind of reflecting on those stories? Brock first. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bain and I have both been, you know, engaged with Luke for a little while. So uh, for me, and I was actually put in touch with Luke through Bain. So I'm very grateful that he did that. Um, for me, of course, it brings back those memories and and sharing with him my experience in coming out and sharing, you know, the the day of and how it felt. It, it's it's a surreal moment. Um, there's so many different levels of emotions that go through it. Uh, obviously I was at a different point in my life than Luke is. And, uh, I think I said in Pierre's piece that I'm kind of envious. He gets to live the majority of his life as a gay man, an openly gay man. And that weight off your shoulders, that burden is life-changing. I, you know, I used to drive around at night and cry and I hated myself and through major junior hockey, through professional hockey and youth sport, I wanted to die almost every day. And, you know, so to have that burden lifted and now see the support you have and the network and community who will support you and help you through that and protect you, you know, it's, it's just life-changing and, the day of, I remember I was, I'd gone back to school and I was sitting in a classroom when the story broke and I told the prof ahead of time that it was coming out. And, um, five minutes into class, my phone was blowing up so much and I was emotional sitting there that she canceled the class and let everyone go. And I just sat in this room and then I didn't know what to do. And I just like drove around. I went into the gym and I sat on a mat and cried. And like, I just, it was happiness, sadness, uh, relief, uh, knowing nobody could use my sexuality against me anymore without, you know, behind my back, knowing that I was now empowering myself to live as myself. It was, it was the best day of my life. Yeah, reading reading his story this morning definitely brought back some flashbacks for me as well. You know, my family group chat was already going nuts this morning, um, you know, saying, you know, it just sounds and I'm getting kind of emotional talking about it just because mine was only six months ago. Right. Reading those stories about him telling his family and the relief, it you know, it definitely brings back flashbacks to me. And for him at such a young age to be able to do this, you know, I, I went through my twenties, you know, I was 33 when, when my story came out for him to do this at such a young age and be such a champion of it, you know, talking to him, like Brock said, you know, leading up to, I was honored that he reached out to me through his agent, Jerry Johansson. And, you know, I introduced him to Brock there and, and Curtis Gabriel and a few others, but it, it just goes to show the network, you know, like anything you want to lean on people that have done it before you, you know, and mine was, was very recent just in, in November, you know, the way that Luke did it with, with Pierre, with an, a story in the athletic, it just, it brings back a flood of emotions for me too on my day. And I know exactly what Luke's going through, um, 
today, like Brock said, you know, relating back to my story, it was, it was insane. The morning, the, as soon as it broke on Twitter there, I remember, you know, you try to get back to people. I did a, a follow-up interview with, with Pierre on TSN, but it's just overwhelming. I remember I had to take a, a nap. I, my body just kind of shut down. You're just emotionally and physically drained. Um, because, because you're shedding this, this, this shadow that you've lived with your, your entire life, you know? So for Luke, this will be the best day of his life, you know, and I'm, I'm envious of him too, that he's able to do that at 19. If I had, if I had that, uh, courage, you know, knowing how, what I know now, you know, with the reaction to my story and how the hockey world has embraced me, um, I would have done it years ago, but so, you know, to, to, to see Luke, um, you know, do this today. And I just know exactly that the, the what's going on and how he feels. So, you know, all the, all the power to him. Yeah. It hmm. seems like you guys are a great support support system for each other. And what does that feel like to you to be able to give support to someone who you can remember you were in their shoes? It's kind of surreal because I remember when I came out and there was nobody, you know, I was sitting there all alone. I dealt with, the media requests I dealt with, the hate, the positive by myself. And it was um, such an overwhelming feeling initially getting all the messages and support and everything else, but it was also very lonely. And to be able to hopefully give him a network and be a part of that network and give him support whenever he needs it. I mean, there's been calls at all hours of the day and um, knowing that he has people who have the lived experience within it is, <clears throat> I, I hope it makes him feel safer. I hope it helps take some weight off his shoulders. I hope it makes him feel like he will never be alone in this space. Um, the way I kind of did for a long time until people like Bain started coming out until, you know, I started to see the Zach Sullivan's and, and the John Olson's and engage with them. Like it was a very lonely, lonely space. And, and, you know, one thing that struck me, uh, Brock and Bain in this story is that when Luke said to me, and I, I don't know if, you know, Luke just sort of said it so naturally too when we talked about the support that he was getting from both Brock and Bain, he said, you know, I want to be there for them too. Again, 19 years old. And he said, you know, I want to make sure that they can call me and talk to me on days that they, that they have, they need that. And I, I just, the leadership that Luke Prokop, I mean, he has an A on his, on his Western hockey league Jersey. And you want to talk about leadership and character. Like, I just think this young man is, is amazing. And, you know, for him to even think of saying that, that he, he's lucky to have you guys because he needed you guys to get through this process, but he wants to be there for you guys too. And I thought that was, yeah, the leadership he's shown already, you know, I, I remember it started with a, you know, a couple conversations with Brock, but we had one, you know, a zoom with him, I think two days ago where we just, you know, told him we went over how to prepare for the big day. And by the end, we're throwing jokes at each other and laughing and we've never even met, you know, but it just goes to show that, you know, <laughs> and I, I feel bad that Brock didn't have anyone there because I remember when I phoned Brock, I said, hey, I think we chatted for an hour. You know, I never I've never met Brock, you know, and now I consider him a friend. And it's it's just it's it's the courage and the leadership that he's showing, you know, hopefully just resonates through the players, through the Western League, through the National Predators, through everything. Um, and I'm just. You know, it, it's it's amazing what he's doing and how he's going about it. And, um, 
you know, nothing but love for him. There's really a bond that we all share, a kinship that only we will probably understand. And I think that is so powerful and it, it, it creates a closeness and uh, like a feeling of that's family right from day one. Um, you know what I mean? When Bain reached out to me, it was like, okay, what can I do for Bain? And I know those people would do anything for me. And that is lifelong. That doesn't end the day you come out. That is support that whenever Bain, Luke, any of the others need it, I'm there and I know they're there. Back to the point about how you hope this reverberates through the Predators and through the NHL. Pierre, I was struck by Poyle's point in your story where he's just saying, this is huge. And the way that he called him a leader and he was just kind of acknowledging and embracing the moment. He wasn't just tolerating it, right? Like that kind of struck me. Yeah. And, and you know, Brian Poyle first reached out and, and left a voicemail for Luke and then and then spoke to Luke and then said, can I, are you okay if we have a larger call? And then it was David Poyle and you know, a, a, a number of other front office people. And they all took their turn to, to tell Luke that, that they were supporting him. And then David Poyle was proud of him. And, and again, that's one of the reasons I led with that moment of all the beautiful moments in this story, because there are many of them, but I led with that moment because there's no question you could tell that Luke was wondering how that call would finally go, that he's telling his NHL team. And, um, and he talks about slamming his steering wheel in excitement after he hung up. You know, tears coming down his eyes, uh, yelling at the top of his lungs and saying that he had never felt this free before. It, it, like, it's it's amazing. And, you know, listen, uh, th there's probably a lot of different ways that call could have done, depending on which front office it is. You hope not, but let's just be realistic. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was huge for him. Again, yet another step in this process and... Um, and, and that went well for him. That was in late June. And uh, I think that really started, I mean, Brock and Bain can probably attest to this more than me because of all their conversations with Luke. But I get the sense that really accelerated the next, you know, conversations that Luke had, again, in his orbit with people in his life and, and continuing to tell people in his life. Brock and Bain, can you think back to when you were 19 and how has the hockey world changed and how has it stayed the same? Yeah, I mean, I just, I put myself in at his age. If I was, I remember playing, I'm here in Victoria right now, playing hockey for my local junior team. There's no chance I was even ready or I don't even think the culture was, you know, like, but now in today's day and age, you know, it, it, it really comes down to it. Brock and I talked about it. You got to love yourself first, right? And you kind of got to stop caring what other people think. And that's really the big turning point, I think, in you know, not only in hockey coming out, but in, in coming out in general. You have to start saying, screw it. This is who I am. I'm unapologetically gay. And I don't really care what other people think. You know, I didn't have that when I was 19 at Luke's age. So for him to come to that realization, and like Brock said, for him to be living his, his life, you know, fully now at, at 19 and open, you know, I, I do think hockey's come a long way. You know, I'm not obviously in the locker room as an agent, but, you know, from what the, the from what he's told us, you know, his teammates and his brother and a few, you know, people around the league or people he trains with, you know, it, it's like mine. It's not like he just one day made it. It's not like he's coming out today. 
he's coming out publicly today. He's had a support network around him, like Brock and I did, like, like, you know, myself with my family and, you know, your close friends and your, you know, then you slowly expand your circle. And then it comes to a point and he even said it in the article and it really resonated with me where you're tired of walking into a room and, you know, Oh, I've told that person, but I haven't told that person, but I think they know it puts your whole mind in a pretzel and to be able to just get it out there. And like Brock said, you know, no one can use it against you negatively. Um, you own your story. I think that's, I, I hope. And from what Luke said that hockey, you know, especially the locker room with the players has come a long way. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that that's the case. Um, to, you know, add on to that and couple with what Pierre said, um, I'm a big believer that I, I hate the word acceptance. I, I really do. And I, I feel that only you can accept you. Um, and when you do accept yourself and learn to love who you are, you're not going to care what anyone else thinks. So, uh, so to combine both like Pierre's previous answer, I think he would have came out regardless if Nashville had a positive or negative response. Mm-hmm. I think he's that special of a human being. I think he's gone to himself to a point where he loves himself more than what he cares about what other people think of him. Um, In terms of being 19, uh, bluntly, I was, you know, drinking daily. I was suicidal. I struggled with um, being gay in a sport and having to lie about it. The homophobic language in locker rooms, uh, you know, uh, the belief system within the culture, not seeing anyone that uh, was like me anywhere. The only time I heard the word gay or fag in a locker room was, you know, people putting each other down. Um, Does that still exist in locker rooms? I'm not going to pretend it doesn't because it does. It does because I have thousands of kids who come to me yearly who are quitting hockey because of it. Um, which makes what Luke did even more powerful because, uh, I, I believe that youth I've spoken across the OHL, I've spoken to professional teams. I'm speaking with the Saginaw spirit tonight. Um, I believe that the thoughts of younger players in hockey today, men's players has evolved, but their language and their behaviors haven't caught up to their belief system. So in order for it to be a safe space, that language and behavior has to evolve. It has to become less of a heterosexist space where everyone's presumed to be straight. They have to stop putting each other down using homophobic or homonegative language. Um, it was so bad. Like I said, I was, I was in Sault Ste. Marie and I was like driving around contemplating death. Um, and that was a regular occurrence for me. That happened for years. I drank daily. I was constantly injured. And, and the fact that he is out um, frees him of that. Well, and you made a great point, uh, Brock, uh, in the piece uh, when you said to me, you know, first round pick in the dub, third round pick in the NHL and sign. And he achieved all those hockey heights while still carrying that burden. You know, and, and, and I've talked to Luke about this, how – you know, he's, he said he was having some of his best summer sessions that he's ever had in terms of on the ice. Well, because clearly, I mean, there's, there's a feeling there that has, 
allowed him now to when he steps on the ice to 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 be uncluttered. Is that fair? I mean, I'm sure that seems to be what he's saying. Completely. I use an analogy. It's like putting a hundred pound weighted vest on and trying to play. You know what I mean? You're lugging around all this emotional weight, all this psychological burden daily, trying to go to the rink, wondering, you know, you hear that language. And and I know he's heard it. We all heard it. I, I, I still hear it at rinks. Um, you know, knowing that exists, knowing that the coaches might use it, knowing that, you know, opponents, coaches might use it and players and, and carrying that around daily, that's hundreds of pounds on your shoulders. And to be able to be that good and be, to be able to, carp, uh, you know, put that in a box and be able to put it away and go play is a testament to, you know, I, I've always heard people talk about mental toughness and how um, a gay player might not be as mentally tough or physically tough. That mental toughness he showed to be able to play and achieve those things with that, you know, emotional baggage, that emotional weight is a testament to how mentally tough he is. Mm-hmm. There's a level of toughness that is unmatched in Luke Prokop. Finally, what would you tell a coach right now that's listening to this and wanted to promote a more inclusive locker room? I, th- I mean, Brock and I are working on a few side things, but I think, you know, it's, um, it's education, you know, it's humanizing it. Like I said, off the lead there, you know, to put a, a face to it, you know, to put, okay, here's a, you know, break down those barriers of look, Oh, you can't be a third round signed pick and be gay. Well, Luke Prokop just, you know, the, you know, uh, went against that. You can't be a hockey agent, you know, and have some of the biggest stars and be gay and work for a national firm. Well, I broke that one down. You know, you can't be a men's player, um, you know, in Europe and, and be, you know, a goalie and, and be openly gay and an activist. Well, Brock broke that down, you know, so it's, it's taking these strides of people stepping up and being themselves. And, um, you know, for, for a coach, you know, maybe there's, there's, I'm sure there's some Calgary Hitman fans, you know, that are, big Luke Prokop fans. And, um, you know, the, the fact of who he, what his sexual orientation is, doesn't matter. And I think the more that we can humanize it and get out in front, you know, we've already, and just to go back to Luke, he's already said he wants to join forces with Brock and I, like he's got a million things on his plate, but he really wants to push the needle too for acceptance and for, you know, he's already thinking about, you know, how can he help? You know, those, I think you mentioned in the article, those kids that maybe, you know, the youth that maybe coming up and, they're 10 years old and they go, Oh, now there's a player that has come out, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they saw my story and see Brock's story. And it's just, I I think it's, it's education and, and humanizing it is how, you know, I know Brock's working with with some OHL teams. So am I, and I think it's just getting out in front and and telling the stories and stopping the language and, you know, just getting out in front of it and really putting a, a face to it. And, you know, I'm just so, so honored to be part of this with, with Luke and, for him to have his big day and, you know, the, you know, the lead up chats that we had with the Nashville Predators players and just everything. It's a, uh, it's a strange, uh, like emotional. It brings back so much for me right now, just sitting here and I'm going to text him later. I bet I won't hear from him for about four days because he'll be so busy, but um, just, uh, you know, just kudos to him and uh, just so proud of him. I can't wait. You know, Brock and I are already talking about getting him out to Toronto to uh, actually the three of us meet in person and um, you know, with, with COVID getting behind us and, I'll consider Luke a friend now moving forward. And it's just, um, 
it's a great, great day for, for him, the community, the hockey world, and uh, just super proud to be a part of it in any, any sense. I think for coaches, uh, my big belief is hockey, hockey, and Pierre said this earlier, is uh, that hockey's behind. And I agree. And I don't want people to get defensive when they hear that. Because, yeah, we're behind, but we can catch up. And, and I believe hockey people, for the most part, are really good people. Except, and, and, and beyond that, I think they'll rally when they recognize that these are issues, you know, racism, uh, sexism, homophobia, ableism, you name it. When they realize these are rallying points the same way they rally around cancer, the same way we watch the entire hockey world rally around Humboldt. When they realize that these issues need the, the type of rallying because it's causing trauma and death and everything else amongst youth, they'll rally. We just got to show them the way. And what I think uh, to what Bain said is I think we need to first humanize these issues, have people within the culture who have the li lived experience within it share stories to humanize it for players. And then from there, educate. And then at that point, I think they start to get it. I think they start to realize, and, and, and for coaches, the first step is language. Shift the language of your locker rooms. You know, it's not enough today. And then beyond that, when, when you do hear it, step up and say something. Whether it's players, whether it's, you know, I, I, I was working with athletes when I retired in Sudbury, in Northern Ontario, and kids knew I was gay before I came out. They had found out because I was out of my private life and I had a kid, kids were working on a track with sprint coach and one of the younger players, sprint coach said, you have 10 more 200 meter sprints. One of the younger players said, this is so gay. And one of the older players who's already in the OHL immersed in the culture, maybe didn't come from as progressive of a household, looked at the younger player and said, we don't say that here. Give me 50 push-ups. And that was something my athletes adopted and then took it to their teams, took it to their peers at school, took it with them. And then kids were doing push-ups all over the place. One 15-year-old one hockey player was on FaceTime with a young woman and he, um, she said to him, let's hang out. And he said, no, I can't have practice. And she said, that's so gay. You never want to hang out with me. And he looked at her and said, give me 50 push-ups right now or we're not talking again. And they both got down to 50 push-ups. These are two people I've never met and will probably never meet in my life. So to me, one of the big steps is that humanization and then recognizing and then actively being anti, you know, uh, homophobia, stepping up and, and speaking out and not being afraid the way a guy like Curtis Gabriel did. He's had no real ties to the community and he stood up. He's like, this isn't cool. This isn't okay. You know? And and the more that that happens, the more that coaches recognize, the more that that um, gatekeepers of the culture, because there's a lot of, you know, those hockey guys who are uncomfortable with this. I mean, I asked the uh, GTHL to go into their league and I had the local NHL team, you can figure that out real quick, offer to come in with me. And the GTHL said no. You know what I mean? Like, so we have gatekeepers at every level of the sport that need to start to open their doors and allow people in to shift it. And when that happens, we'll have a safe space.
So I'm asking coaches to make that happen. Thank you so much, Brock and Bain, for your insight. We're going to let you guys go now. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you both. This is an amazing day in hockey. But like Brock said, there is a long way to go and we need to actively promote inclusivity at all levels of this sport. Pierre, do you have any final thoughts on this historic day? You know, my thoughts end where they begin, which is I hope that Luke Prokop feels amazing right now. And, you know, I think that was starting to happen from what he was telling me uh, in the interview, in the two interviews I did with him for both The Athletic and TSN, that as he kept telling people in his in his private life and then friends and then other friends that he was really starting to feel, you know, the, the, the burden, um, you know, come off his shoulders. But again, I just want to stress this. 19 years old and um, – to be willing to, to come out to the world and, and in part, as he described, because he hopes that it'll impact other people who may be struggling with this. I, I just can't believe how courageous he is at his age. I mean, uh, I mean, not only that, but how well spoken he is in explaining his thoughts. And I mean, I was 19, I could barely put four words together. And, and so I, I don't know. I just, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I'm a big Luke Prokop fan and uh, can't wait to see how his career now uh, plays out. Absolutely. It's such a testament to his leadership too. And I'd like to say just for those who might be hearts in the right place, kind of questioning why this matters, right? It shouldn't matter or be mm-hmm. whatever. It Just think about the visual of him banging on a steering wheel and just the release of the tears of joy. This matters because it is who he is and he gets to be who he is without the weight of the world on his shoulders. And again, to read this article, it's, this is who I am. Predators prospect Luke Prokop comes out at The Athletic by Pierre Lebrun. Thank you, Sarah. We are done, but we got to do the pod promo. A busy month for the NHL continues with buyouts, trades, signings, and now the expansion draft. Join Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian Tuesday for The Athletic Hockey Show Live. A preview of the NHL Expansion Draft and the NHL Draft with guests Corey Pronman, Scott Wheeler, John Vogel, and Jesse Granger, available on the Athletic social media channels at 12 p.m. Eastern at The Athletic. Check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for $3.99 a month. For Pierre Lebrun, I'm Sarah Sivian. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs>